0: Welcome to the Church 214 Podcast. We're glad that you've joined us today. We hope that you enjoyed today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at church214.org.
1: Morning. last week when we were in worship, I heard the Holy Spirit say, testify. Like, okay, now? And he said, no, next week. So I'm going to start this morning by testifying. You're going to start by testifying of the goodness of the Lord. And just now as we were singing the kindness of the Lord, I heard that. Testify of the kindness of the of the Lord in your life so I have this microphone and I have this microphone and this one is for me and this one is for you so who wants to start and testify of something the Lord has done in your life this week or last week or this year or whenever you want let's testify of his kindness
2: Um, I have a daughter she's 22 and she lives in Iowa and um I wouldn't say that she's following Jesus right now. And so that's just been um, a heart painful thing for Daryl and I. But my she does talk. She talks with us. I mean, thankfully, we have a good relationship. But she also talks with my mom a lot. And last night, she texted my mom. And she said, um, Granny, I was on TikTok. And for like an hour straight, all of the videos were Christian videos. Come on. And she said, every other video was about anointing your home with oil. And she said, finally, after like the fifth one, I just got up and I got some oil and I went in every room (laughs) of my house and I prayed and I anointed every room in my house. So here I am a parent, (laughs) three hours away, unable to do that, you know, even if I did it secretly while I was visiting her or something. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I, so I, this, this morning I was just able to rejoice in the knowledge that she is living in a home even though it's not a home I would choose for her a situation I would choose for her that now it's covered and anointed and also just the encouragement that the Holy Spirit is speaking to her that he's still active in her life and she's still listening so that was just so kind of Jesus yeah kind
1: wow I love that yes yes celebrate that all right who's next You don't have to stand up. I'll just sit. So we've been going through some things with my dad. I won't get into any details. Um, But he has been far away from the father for a long time. And I think it was last week. I got a knock on my door, and I thought it was just a package, so I just let it go. And then uh, my doorbell rang, which that normally doesn't happen. So I go to the door, and it was my dad. And he just came to visit and to hang out with the girls. And I don't remember ever a time in my entire life that he's done that. So um, prayer is powerful, mm-hmm. and it works. Mm-hmm. So it was very kind, very, very kind of the very Lord. Very kind. And isn't it so kind of a father to speak through your father to show his kindness to you? That's so good. All right, who else? Bill Gray.
2: Um, I have uh, two of the most beautiful people um, daughter-in-laws uh, inside and out and I have three grandchildren through those daughter-in-laws and I look back at my life um, and I won't go into detail about <laughs> that but shortcomings and failures that I've had and uh, sometimes I just think how how did that happen to me that I got so lucky to have those ladies and these um, grandkids in my life
1: All right, a couple more. Coming back to you, Dustin. He's like, come on, get back here.
3: Well, um, as a lot of you know, um, our story is long and hard. Um, Here at this church, um, I ran away. Um, I ran as far away as I possibly could. And... I have the most loyal person in the world in the back of the room and never faded, never faded, never left. And through that love, it showed me where I was supposed to be and to turn my face back to him. Um, And what he has done in our life in the last month is something that I can't even explain. Um, And I'm not going to try to explain it, um, but just his kindness of always being there and never walking away from us um, is something that is beyond words.
1: Yes. Seeing you literally run up to the altar is top five memories for me because it shows it shows your desperation for the father and your your realization of your need for him. And that was beautiful. I'm proud of you. Both of you. All three of you. All right, one more. If you're feeling really queasy inside and your hands are shaking, it's you. <laughs> you weren't queasy inside though, were you? <laughs> no. <laughs>
0: Just the squigglies. Squigglies. Um I've had a it's been a like five years now that the Lord's been putting on my heart that um I've had this passion of of working out and trying to, uh, to to help people get healthy. And um he gave me a dream a while back <coughs> excuse me, of um this he this big gym. Um, Owning this this massive uh, training facility and making Peoria kind of a hub for, um, like, professional sports, uh, high school students, college, coming out of the Peoria area and, um, you know, going on to live their dreams. And um, I've kind of, here and there, been trying to chase that dream. And most recently, um, there's been opportunities that have been arising – and I've been able to kind of um, come into those. And um, just recently, he's opening doors for me now um, to follow this dream and to follow um, pursuing, at least start at a, at a small point in pursuing this, this big dream that I have. So he's just, it, the, his kindness to shut doors and to, to open them at the right times and at the right moments is just um, a blessing and mm-hmm. um, something that, um, he he loves you, and he loves your dreams, he loves your passions, and um, I'm realizing that very slowly, <laughs> it takes a while to get to the squigglies, you know, but, um, but his kindness to just pay attention to what you really love, and what you really want to do in your life, it's just, it's incredible, and, and so yeah, he's just blessing us in that, so...
1: Yeah, Dalton, that's so good, and I think it's so important that we remember that ministry is not just in the walls, these walls right here, right? It's not just when you're on a stage or if you're leading a small group or if you are um, praying over someone. Ministry is everything that we do all day long, whether you're in corporate America or you sell houses or your, your dream is to have a gym where you train people's physical bodies. That's what... Church believes in that really strongly, that the marketplace is also ministry, and it's also the kingdom of God. It's not just being in these four walls on a Sunday morning. It's everything that we do, so I love that you are seeing the beginnings of that dream being fulfilled, and we're cheering you on. That's awesome. All right, if you don't know me, my name is Heather Taves, and I am the teaching team director here at this church, and I am really excited to be you on in... And my- Yeah, Bummer. All right, we'll go back to the trusty handheld. I'm really excited to continue on in this series on Psalm 24 because there is so much richness in this passage. But before we jump back into that, I want to actually go backwards to um, back to last week's message when Phil preached. Who was here when Phil preached last week? Okay. Be honest, who couldn't stop thinking about it? Okay. Awesome. Me too. I told him on Thursday night, Phil, I was supposed to be preparing a message on the next part of Psalm 24, and I couldn't stop thinking about what you had preached about. So we're actually going to go back into that for just a moment, because I think there was something that he said that was so foundational and so good for us, and we need to, he didn't have time, because we literally said, Phil, do an overview of Psalm 24, oh, and talk about one and two. So he didn't have time to go like deep, deep, deep into this concept. But he planted the seed, and we're going to go a little bit deeper into it today. He talked about subduing chaos. Who heard him say that? Subdue chaos. Okay? This idea of God subduing chaos, just shh, God just silencing chaos, is brilliant and incredible. And only God, only the God could have done it like he did it. But then he gave us that mandate to subdue chaos. So I was thinking about this. It was I don't know, maybe Monday or Tuesday. I was thinking like, "Lord, where do you want me to subdue chaos in my own life? Is it here? Is it here? Is it here?" And almost immediately I heard him say, "In your mind." And I was like, "Oh. Yeah. In our minds." How much of the chaos in our life sits up here in our minds? And we let it swirl and swirl and swirl. And it affects our actions. Because the chaos in our minds is going crazy. And I thought, okay, so we need to wake up every single day And we need to ask the Lord two questions. One, Lord, help me subdue the chaos in my mind. And where do I need to subdue chaos around me? You know, God created us in his image. He created us to be like him, not God, but like his character. So if he subdued chaos at the beginning of time and then we are called to subdue chaos around us, I think that is a beautiful representation of us mimicking, copying his character. I want you to think about our world right now. We have more people on drugs for depression than there have ever been before. We have more people at odds in their families, like family division, maybe than ever before. We have more unrest in our nation, in the political realm. Everywhere you look, there is chaos. There is more division and separation in the church. Everywhere you look, there is chaos. Psalm 24 in 2024 Right, What's happening just in the political realm in 2024? Our nation is literally going to be ripped in half because of an election. And what is our response to that? Subdue chaos. Bring the peace. The kindness of the Lord. Shining through us bringing peace to situations does that mean we don't speak truth absolutely not does that mean we don't have beliefs and and strong opinions on things absolutely not it means that in the midst of that in the midst of the chaos we the people of God bring the peace we bring the solutions to the chaos but it has to start up here in our minds. It has to. If your mind is chaotic, you're not bringing any peace to any situation at all. So it has to start in your mind. I love this. Philippians four, four through eight says this. This is a mind that is not chaotic. Be cheerful with joyous celebration in every season of life. Let your joy overflow, and let gentleness be seen in every relationship, for our Lord is ever near. Don't be pulled in different directions or worried about a thing. Be saturated in prayer throughout each day, offering your faith-filled requests before God with overflowing gratitude. Tell him every detail of your life. Then God's wonderful peace that transcends human understanding will guard your heart and your mind through Jesus Christ. Keep your thoughts continually fixed on all that is authentic and real honorable and admirable, beautiful and respectful, pure and holy, merciful and kind. And fasten your thoughts on every glorious work of God, praising him always. Does that sound like a subdued mind to you? That is beautiful. And I would challenge you that if this week you find yourself Back in that place where your mind is chaotic and your thoughts are swirling and there is chaos, go read that passage. And say, Holy Spirit, help me with this. And he will. He will. All right. Psalm 24. If you have your Bibles, you can open to it. It'll also be up on the screen. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him, for he laid the earth's foundation on the seas and built it on the ocean depths. Who may climb the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? Only those whose hands and hearts are pure, who do not worship idols and never tell lies. They will receive the blessing the Lord's blessing and have a right relationship with God, their savior. Such people may seek you and worship in your presence. O God of Jacob, open up ancient gates, open up ancient doors and let the King of glory enter. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord invincible in battle. Open up ancient gates, open up ancient doors and let the King of glory enter. Who is the King of glory? the Lord of heaven's armies, he is the King of glory. So I would like to give everybody here, and if you're listening on podcasts, a challenge to memorize Psalm 24. It's only 10 verses and three of them, four of them are pretty much exactly the same. So technically it's only seven verses. There's something that happens when you memorize scripture and it gets in you and it's no longer just a passage that you read or you heard read and that that's good. It's good to hear scripture read. There's something that happens when it gets inside of you and a really easy way to do that is every time you get in the car. Just take your UVersion app or your Bible app and hit play on Psalm 24 and it'll read it to you and about I don't know 10 trips later you will realize you have it memorized. And you've literally done nothing but listen to it. And then you've got it in you forever. And it's a really, really cool thing. So today we're going to be focusing on verses 3 through 6. Phil talked about verses 1 and 2. And if you didn't hear that, go back and listen to it because it was phenomenal. But verses 3 through 6 say this. Who may climb the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? Only those whose hands and hearts are pure and who do not worship idols and never tell lies. They will receive the Lord's blessing and have a right relationship with God their Savior. Such people may seek you and worship in your presence, O God of Jacob. So last week Phil did an incredible job of giving us some historical and cultural context for this passage. It's really easy to read a psalm like this and just glaze over the stuff that's deeper, the deeper meanings that are in just the written words. And so Phil taught us that this um, this was probably a temple entry and enthronement psalm. So what that means is that the ancient Hebrews Back when they had where they had the tr- the tabernacle first and then they had the temple, most likely this was kind of like a call and response that they would give with the priests as they were going to the tabernacle or going to the temple. Okay, now in our culture now, we don't do that in, in the culture of our church and churches like us. We don't necessarily do a call and response ritual every single week. Um, but that was part of their worship, part of how they... Um, prepared themselves to enter into the the tabernacle or the temple. And it's exactly the same for the same reasons that they did it, that we're supposed to do that. It's for two reasons. One, to prepare our hearts, to get our hearts ready to go into the presence of God. If you go to to dinner with a friend, and you're kind of like, you don't want to be there. You've complained about it all day long. You um, kind of are annoyed with this friend. How's that going to go for you? How's that dinner going to go for you? Not well, most likely, right? You, you're just you're you're not going to have the intimacy, the connection with that person that you could have if you went into that dinner with, I'm so excited about sitting down with this friend and hearing what the Lord is doing in their life. I'm so excited to just hang out and have fun and laugh because this person makes me laugh so much. Do you see the difference? It's the same with God. When you prepare your heart or you don't prepare your heart to come into his presence and you come in like this, You come in angry at everybody around you. You come in like checking this off the list. Man, your experience with the presence of God is going to be far less impressive than the person who has come in with a soft heart and says, Lord, do with me what you want to do with me. So that's the first reason. Prepare our hearts. The second is to call on his presence. Now, we know that God is omnipresent, which means always there, right? If you are a follower of Jesus, you have the spirit of God in you. He never leaves you. He's always with you. But there's a difference between God always being there and God's manifest presence coming down, and you have an encounter that you can feel. When you're walking around every day, Do you you necessarily always feel God's presence in you? Not necessarily. You can see it a lot through people, through things around you, but you don't always feel it. But when you have an encounter with the manifest presence of God, and if you've experienced that, you know what that means. It's like your whole body starts to shake, or you have to lay down on your face, or you start laughing uncontrollably, or it's different for everybody. Everybody, or, or some people start crying. When you have that manifest uh, encounter with God, it's, there's nothing like it. And you want more of it. And that's, that's also what this Psalm is doing. It's calling on the presence of God so that you can experience his glory and his goodness in a tangible way, in a way that changes you. All right. Now, when I first read this, I've read this many times. But when I first read this in preparation for this message, Instantly, what jumped out at me were these two questions in verse three. Who may climb the mountain of the Lord and who may stand in his holy place? That's the first thing that jumped out at me and I wrote it down. And so I want to go back and answer this question. Who may climb the mountain of the Lord? Now, how many of you think that God is actually talking, the psalmist is actually referring to a, a physical mountain that you need to put your hiking boots on and go climb up the mountain to be in the presence of God? Anybody? Okay, good. We're way ahead of the game. That's awesome. But why does he use the word mountain there? Let me explain this to you. So, Last week, Phil introduced us to the Canaanite Divine Council, right? And, and I know we were all like listening like this as he's explaining this stuff to us as only Phil can do. And it was so good. And he was talking to us about Near Eastern ancient religions. Okay, and I want you to put yourself into the position of an ancient Hebrew. So thousands of years ago. They were surrounded by other nations and other religions. The the religion, the faith of the Hebrew people was not the only religion, just like today. We are surrounded, as believers of Jesus, we are surrounded by other religions, right? Yes. Do we know some of their rituals that these other religions participate in? Yes, we do. We know them because we we've, we've see them on social media. We've heard about them. We know. Um, we know because we've maybe attended some of their gatherings now and then or we grew up in a different type of religion. We know those things. So did the ancient Hebrew people. See, when Abraham was called by God to leave his country and go to a land that he didn't even know where he was supposed to go and he obeyed, he was a nomad. He wandered around all over and met different nations and different kings and so he would have been very familiar with their rituals and with with their religions same thing with the hebrew people when they were in egypt they were surrounded by a different faith a different religion many different gods most of these ancient religions were polytheistic, which means that they worshipped multiple deities. Their religions didn't just have one god, they had multiple gods, which I think would be extremely confusing and difficult to try to keep up with which god to pray to for which thing I was praying about. So in this verse, this is a direct response to what They knew to be all around them, the other people around them believed. There was a mountain called Mount Zephon, which was believed to be where Baal, the false god, resided. and, And other gods with him. And so, listen to this. In Psalm 48, verses 1 and 2, the psalmist says, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. His holy mountain, he has a mountain too, Baal, you're not the only one. His holy mountain is beautiful in elevation and is the joy of all the earth. Mount Zion which wasn't actually referring to just one mountain. It was referring to a region, an idea of God's presence being in that region in the far north. North didn't actually mean north directionally. North is referring to Mount Zephon. It's a direct slam, if you will, to the mountain of Baal. And so he's saying here, And and that verse goes on to say, the city of the great king. Not all you false gods over here that can't figure out what's going on and you need your people to do all the work for you to give you any power, but the God who is supreme over all, who does have his own mountain, and it's not just a mountain, it is the entire earth. It's like mic drop, That's why he says, who may climb the mountain of the Lord? He's not just talking about put your hiking boots on and go up, climb a mountain and meet with the Lord. He's directly coming against culture and the evil it was representing. Same way we do today in different ways. He was saying, I am the one true God. I am the one true God and I have a mountain too. Psalm 2 verse 6 says, for the Lord declares, I have placed my chosen king on the throne in Jerusalem on my holy mountain. I am supreme. I am God. And then the second question, who may stand in his holy place? Now, when I first read this, it's a little bit of an odd statement to me. Because this is saying, who can be in your presence? And this is before Jesus came to earth. And we know, or if you don't know, that's okay. I'll teach you this. The first Testament or the old Testament, as most of you probably understand it to be, is the old covenant before Jesus came to earth. Okay, Then you get to Matthew, the Gospels, and it's the new covenant after Jesus came to earth and shed his blood and made a way for us. But before that, very few people could go into the Holy of Holies, which was where the presence of God resided. There were rituals, special washings, sacrifices that had to be done before certain people could go in there. And it was very limited who could go in. So I find this question a little bit odd because it was kind of like they already knew, they already knew who could go in. It was only a few people that were ritually pure. So I'm like, why, why is he why, why is he asking that? He already knows the answer to that. And then I thought, no, we're limiting who had access to God's presence. We still do it today. We'll get to that in a minute. Think about this, think about all the times that people before Jesus stood in the presence of God. Think about Moses and the burning bush, right? God's presence is literally right there in a bush that's not burning up. And he says, Moses, take off your sandals. You're standing on holy ground in the presence of God. Who may stand in your holy place? Moses did. What about Jacob? Jacob's having a dream, he's sleeping, and all of a sudden, he starts wrestling with Jesus, like physically wrestling with him to the point where his hip got kinked, and he walked around with the limp for the rest of his life. Like if that's not standing on holy ground, I I don't know what is. And there are countless stories of that In the first testament of people being in the presence of God, being in his presence. One of my favorites is Joshua. Moses and Joshua would go into the tent, into the tabernacle, and Moses would do the thing that he needed to do, and then he would come out, and Joshua would stay just to be in the presence of God. He'd stay there. So we have these two questions, who may climb the mountain of the Lord and who may stand in his holy place? And I think it really boils down to who is allowed to be in the presence of the Lord. We have the old temple system and we have the blood of Jesus. And we as human beings tend to think that the answers to those questions are up to us. That we're the ones that determine Who does that? And I don't think we can overlook this passage and the importance of this passage just because it's Old Testament. 2 Timothy says all scripture is profitable. All scripture. (laughs) He He had the Old Testament as the scripture at this point when this was written. When Paul wrote this to Timothy. That verse goes on to say, it's useful to teach us and, listen to this, make us realize what's wrong in our lives. So we have this question, who can enter the presence of God? Who can stand in his holy place? And verse 4 answers that. Only those, say that, only those. Say it like you mean it. Okay, that was a little better. Only those whose hands and hearts are pure, who do not worship idols, and who never tell lies. That's who can. That's who can be in God's presence. Now, last week when Phil read Psalm 15, I think I laughed out loud. Phil, I wasn't laughing at you. I laughed out loud because very early on in the beginnings of studying Psalm 24, I went directly to Psalm 15 because they're basically the same passage. They're parallel passages. So I'm going to read this to you, and then I have a little treat for you. No, it's not food. Psalm 15. Who may worship in your sanctuary, Lord? Who may enter your presence on your holy hill? Sound familiar? Those who lead blameless lives and do what is right, speaking the truth from sincere hearts. Those who refuse to gossip or harm their neighbors or speak evil of their friends. Those who despise flagrant sinners and honor the faithful followers of the Lord and keep their promises even when it hurts. Those who lend money without charging interest and cannot be bribed to lie about the innocent. Such people will stand firm forever." There's a lot of similarities there, aren't there? Believe it or not, David knew what he was talking about, so he wrote it twice. When things are written twice or more, it's probably important to stop and pay attention. And so now for your viewing pleasure, I have no idea why, (laughs) but 30 plus years ago, my parents had us memorize and recite Psalm 15. Now, one of the things my parents did, which was so valuable and I'm eternally grateful for is they taught us to hide God's word in our heart. They taught us to memorize scripture. And I can still quote it to you. You're about to see it. I can still quote it from having memorized it when I was 12 years old. That's why I ask you to memorize because 30, I don't know, I can't do that math that quickly. (laughs) That many years later, I can still remember the passage. So, for your viewing pleasure, here are the Bennett children, circa 1990-ish. Psalm 15, peace, God commands. For, who may enter your holy tent? Miller, on your way or uh, not. On your way or not, on And it on his way, and he speaks to his heart. Uh, he must not sound alive to that effort. He must be no wrong to his neighbors. He must not get fit. Honor the Lord. He must keep his promises to his neighbors, even when at first. He must not take money to hurt and send people who are all these things will never be destroyed. Come on, can we give it up for last night? I told Ada that I was going to be. Um, Showing off my Laura Ingalls Wilder collection, and she said, "Oh, who is that?" <laughs> I love you, Ada. <laughs> when I remembered that we had memorized that, I texted my mom and said, "Is there any chance you have a video of that?" And she said, "I don't, I don't know." And about three hours later, she sent me back a VHS tape with it written on it. Um, which if you're under 20 years old and you have no idea what a VHS tape is, those are the recording devices we used to use when dinosaurs walked on the earth. <laughs> so we had it digitized and now you all get to, <laughs> Taylor, t- <laughs> I sent it to Taylor to say, can you clean up, clean up this audio a little bit? And she sent it back and she said, who's that person on the left? I said, that's me. <laughs> Like fine wine. <laughs> and if you weren't sure, Heidi was the girl in the middle with the pink dress and the gigantic bangs. Okay. <laughs> so, We cannot ignore the instructions that are in these two passages in Psalm 24 and Psalm 15 because they're both doing something. They're both a call to holiness and a call to being set apart. And it's really important that we understand that. It says only those who can be in God's presence, only those whose hands and hearts are pure, who don't worship idols and never tell lies. And then Psalm 15 goes into a lot more explanation about that. And I actually want to read this to you from a different translation because this, this just makes it really um, obvious in our language and in our culture. So listen to this. Psalm 15. Who can enter God's presence? They're passionate and wholehearted, always sincere and always speaking the truth for their hearts are trustworthy. They refuse to slander or insult others. Yikes. They'll never listen to gossip or rumors, nor they ever harm a friend with their words. They will despise evil and evil workers while commending the faithful ones who follow after the truth. They make firm commitments and follow through, even at great cost. Oh my goodness, some of us need to write that on our foreheads and look at it every day. They never crush others with exploitation, and they would never be bought with a bribe against the innocent. Those who do these things will never be shaken. They will stand firm forever. That's a pretty big list, isn't it? How many of you can say that you nailed that this week all the way, 100%, right? No, none of us, because it's impossible on our own. But here's the thing, when I read this, that's what stood out to me. Who could ever possibly be good enough to be in God's presence? And I think maybe I will speak for myself, I've misunderstood the entire narrative of this passage for a long time. I think maybe the church has too. And we've put the focus on what we have to do in order to experience God's presence instead of on what is already ours. Most of us read that Psalm 24 passage. Who may climb the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? And we fixate on only those and because we don't see ourselves in the only those category, because we've messed up a whole bunch and we're operating under the world's shame and guilt, instead of true conviction of the Holy Spirit, we discount ourselves from God's presence. And we put ourselves not in only those category, but in everybody else. And we take ourselves out of the narrative of who can experience the glory of the Lord. That's just for only those who appear like they have it all right, who appear like they don't mess up, who appear holy and righteous. But I'm not included in that because you should have heard my mouth yesterday. Or I'm not included in that because you should have heard how I treated my spouse, or yelled at my kids, or the way I drank way too much the other night at a party. I'm not included in only those because of this, 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 this. And the world tells us, the enemy tells us, shame on you operate out of guilt. You are not good enough. And the Holy Spirit, his conviction leads us to repentance. Listen, shame and guilt is never from the Holy Spirit, ever. Because the Holy Spirit does not put shame and guilt on you. The enemy does. The conviction of the Holy Spirit is gentle. It doesn't always feel good, but it leads you to repentance. And when you repent, when you repent of something, the feeling that comes after that—it's like, I don't know if any of you got spanked as a kid by your parents. Hopefully you did. Um, I'm being very serious right now. Um, but after your spanking, if you had a, a a good mom or dad, and I know there are some that, did, that didn't, and you, your experience was very different. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about biblical discipline. They would take you on their lap and they would pray with you, and you would feel so good. Like, oh, that's over with and done with. And I'm loved. That's like the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You might get a spanking. You might get some discipline, but afterwards it feels so good. Shame and guilt doesn't do that to you. Shame and guilt leaves you curled up on the floor thinking, I'm not good enough. God couldn't even possibly look at me and think that I am good enough for anything. Now, the reason I think that maybe we've been looking about at this a little bit the wrong way is because that's what a younger Heather mentality would have would have seen in this passage. A list of things that I needed to do in order to make God happy with me. See, I spent a lot of my childhood, and this has nothing to do with my parents at all. This is just, I am a, I'm a firstborn rule follower. Like, I'm the type that if I'm driving 55 on a 55 road and I pass a cop, I'm like... <laughs> Like I am a rule follower. So when I read the Bible, I often read and put the most importance on the rules, and what I can do to make God happy with me. I also really wanted to please people, whether it be my parents or bosses or leaders in my life or my friends and I had this unhealthy fear of man, which listen, it led to an unhealthy fear of God. Did you know that can happen? Your fear of man can actually lead to you fearing God in the wrong way. So when you do or say things because of your fear of people, you'll often do or say things because of your fear of God that is misplaced. Fear of God is not, I'm scared of God. Fear of God, true fear of God, because the Bible talks about it a lot. The fear of God, the fear of God, the fear of God. Fear of God is desperation for Him, a, a, a right perspective of His holiness. I heard it put this way, and I loved this. Fear of God. It's not that you just don't sin because you know you're not supposed to. It's that you don't sin. You choose not to sin because you're so in love with the Father. That is a rightly placed fear of God. It's not I'm not going to sin or do things or follow the rules because I don't want to make people mad at me. I don't want to make God mad at me. It's I love him so much that I want to obey him that I choose to obey him. I think some of you are in that space right now where guilt and shame have limited your intimacy with God. You've let what you've done or what you're doing keep you from intimacy with God and you've taken yourself out of the narrative of a passage like this, because only those who have it all right, only those who don't mess up can be in God's presence, can experience. Yeah, I can go to church, and I can feel it kind of like splash over on me. But I don't get that, like, immersed in the glory of God experience, because I'm not one of only those Listen, I would have read this as a limiting passage well into my 30s. But it's not a limiting passage. It is a freeing passage. He doesn't require your perfection. He requires a constant turning back to him. He so desires to be in fellowship with you, in communion with you, in intimacy with you, that he made a way. He sent Jesus. So you could do all the things right, but without Jesus, it wouldn't matter. Because Jesus' blood, when Jesus' blood was shed his righteousness. Jesus, who lived a perfect life, who followed all the rules perfectly. When his blood was shed, his righteousness, when you choose him, becomes your righteousness. And all of a sudden, you have access to a father because of Jesus. So you might still be messing up a lot, and it's okay. I am too. Just this week, I was having some yuck thoughts about some people. They were just there. It was chaotic in my mind. And I almost picked up my phone to call a friend because I wanted somebody to affirm me. I wanted someone to say, it's okay. You have every right to feel the way that you do. And the Holy Spirit, who is so kind, he's so kind. He said, don't do it. Talk to me instead. And thankfully, I listened this time. (laughs) And as soon as I started to get it out, subdue the chaos in my mind, I felt peace wash over me. It didn't take away the situation. It didn't even take away all the hurt. But what it did was it took away the chaos that I was operating out of. And you know what else happened? I was able to pray favor and blessing over the people that a few minutes ago I was hating on. That is subduing chaos in your mind. That is the kindness of the Lord leading us to repentance. I love these verses from the First Testament, from the books of the law. sounds so strict, doesn't it? The books of the law. I actually really like it because I like rules. <laughs> Deuteronomy 10, verse 12. He says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? He requires only that you fear the Lord your God and live in a way that pleases him, and love him and serve him with all your heart and soul. Does that sound doable? Yeah, it does. Micah 6.8, one of the prophets of old. He says, no, O people, the Lord has told you what is good. And this is what he requires of you, to do right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Look, these passages are not a pass. And my message to you today is not a pass to sin, it's not a pass to just go live willy-nilly however you want and be like, it's okay, God loves me, he forgives me, I'm good. No, 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 this is a call to holiness. But what I'm asking you today is to recognize that his holiness is available to all of us, no matter where we find ourselves. It's not a restrictive faith that we live It's a free faith, just the way he gives it to us, freely. And I am learning this myself, that when I read a passage like this, I don't have to take myself out of the narrative, but I can keep myself in there because my hands and my heart can be pure before the Lord when I surrender. When I repent, when I'm constantly turning back to him, when I mess up, I mess up, I repent. I mess up, I repent. My hands and my heart stay pure. My gaze stays up on the Father. Come up here. So then verse five and six talk about the reward, the reward for those whose hands and hearts are pure, which we've just established can be any of us. Even when we break the rules. This is the reward. They will receive the Lord's blessing and have a right relationship with God their Savior. Such people may seek you and worship in your presence, O God of Jacob. That's the reward. Isaiah 56.1 says this. Be just and fair to all. Do what is right and good. For I am coming soon to, listen, rescue you and display my righteousness among you. God's righteousness is not just then but now being displayed on you to everybody around you when your heart is soft, when your hands are open. Repentance isn't just a one-time thing. We've gotten that wrong a lot too in the church. I repented. I asked Jesus into my heart. Repentance should be daily. Think about your life. Is there something you need to repent for from yesterday? What about the day before? What about the day before that? Probably. Repentance is daily opening your hands and surrendering, turning back to the Father, turning back to the Father, turning back to the Father. And I love that he says his righteousness will be on display among us. The other thing that happens when we have this heart posture towards him When we let the righteousness of Jesus continually cleanse us, this is his response to us. Listen to this. This is so good, you guys. This is so good. Psalm 27, 8. My heart has heard you say, come and talk with me. And my heart responds, Lord, I am coming. And I don't want to take too much of their thunder because... Peyton and Jason are going to finish up this passage in the next couple weeks. But the next verse is, you know what happens? Ancient doors open up. Ancient doors that have been sealed. And the king of glory comes in. And we get to experience the glory of the Lord. And I believe that's what's going to happen in this place. We are not... We are not in a season of just passive Christianity. We are not in a season, a time on earth where just checking off the box is going to allow us to experience the presence of the Lord in the way that it's about to be poured out. We are in a season where those who are hungry for it will receive it. Those who are desperate for it who are continually turning, continually repenting. And then they will experience the glory. This beautiful, beautiful glory that is coming. So I want you to think about that today. Are you operating out of an only those mentality? Have you taken yourself out of the narrative? Have you thought the glory is reserved, the presence is reserved for this group of people over here? And the Lord wants you to put yourself back into the narrative because his righteousness is for all of us who choose him, every single person in this place. I want to end with a vision that Chris, my husband, had over me a few years ago. And it's interesting because this is actually... A three-part vision. He had them three different times years apart, but they were the same continuation of the same vision. So I'm actually gonna read what he he wrote it down for me. I'm gonna read it to you, and I want you to think about yourself in this. Not me, but yourself. Several years ago, I had a vision over Heather. She had pigtails and was a little girl. She was swinging on a blue swing. I could feel the immense love of the father as she was completely safe in his care and experiencing the greatest joy on her swing. That was the first vision. Then a year or so later, the spirit took me back to that same vision Once again, I saw a vision of Heather on a blue swing. I asked, why is she not going anywhere? The father said, she is. The vision panned out and I saw Heather on the swing on this huge boat crossing the ocean. And then I realized it actually wasn't a boat. It was the father's hand. And then a year or so later, on January 5th, 2023, during First, right here at Oak Street, I saw the father pick up his own hand, the large boat with Heather on the blue swing. He set his hand and the boat down at the base of the Mississippi River in Louisiana. I was born in Louisiana, so that meant something to me. It was muddy at the base of the river, but I could see a path marked out for her heading up the river to Peoria. The path of the river was highlighted of where he was taking her. It wasn't the wide open space of the ocean, but a narrow river route. As the route of the river progressed northward towards Peoria, the water became less muddy. By the time the river reached Peoria, the water was clear. There are a lot of meanings for that, for me, in that vision, and some are just for me. But what I want you to hear today is that the Father has you. He has you. My sister Heidi texted me earlier this morning. She didn't... Have any idea about that vision that I was going to share that? And she said, I have a sense that the Father is holding you in his strong right hand. And I want to speak that over you. The Father is holding you in his strong right hand. And he has a path marked out for you. And his kindness is so beautiful that even in the muddy river, where there seems to not be a clear path. He's got you, he knows the plans for you. You are not excluded from those who can experience the glory of the Lord in an incredible way. Your past, your present, your mess ups do not disqualify you from experiencing all you want of God, all you want. There's as much of him as much of his glory, as much of his presence as you desire, available. It just takes surrendering. It takes your heart and your hands being pure. Not because of anything you do except surrender, because of the blood of Jesus that covers you and your willingness to repent, your willingness to come to the Father and say, I I repent, I turn, I turn back to you. And I believe today that the Lord is taking shame and guilt out of our vocabulary. Out of the chaos of your mind. The Lord wants to subdue shame and guilt in your mind today. And he wants you to put yourself back in this narrative. Who can ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who can stand in his holy place? You can. You can. The Lord wants to meet with you. He wants to be that friend that sits down with you, that laughs together, that dreams together, that comforts you, that convicts you when you need convicted. And he wants you to experience everything that he has for you. And all he asks is for you to surrender and turn back to him. Would you stand up on your feet? Father, we thank you for your kindness. We thank you that you give us a roadmap. You give us lists. You give us ways that we are called to holiness, called to live a life that is morally upright. You ask us to do those things, but you don't put it on us. You give us the power of the Holy Spirit and the righteousness of Jesus that makes it possible for us to even attempt to live our life that way. So, Father, right now in this moment, would you speak to each individual heart? Would you show them ways where they need to do a couple things? Subdue chaos in their mind and surrender it to you. Or maybe they need to take shame and guilt off of the table. Maybe they need to put themselves back in the narrative and realize that your glory and your presence, it is coming. It is here. And it is not just reserved for those that they think are qualified. It is reserved for them as well. So, Lord, as we respond to this, let our response be whatever it is that you're tugging on our hearts to do. Repent. Turn back to the Father. Just come and be in your presence. Come and sit at your feet. And have intimacy with you. And let your glory be. Let your glory flood over us for your name, for your glory, for your honor in Jesus' name.